0: You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists.
1: Hi, and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 17. Today, we are joined by our regulars, Jen and Chris, and we also have a special guest, uh, Drew Demler, and we're going to be talking about horticulture today. Um, So Drew is the director of horticulture for the State Fair of Texas. And the biggest part of his role is as the head grower for uh, Big Tech's urban farms. Um, The farm grows produce outdoors in raised beds, as well as in a greenhouse using hydroponics. Drew has 25 years of experience in the green industry, and his former jobs include horticulture manager at the Dallas Arboretum and owning his own nursery and landscape business in the Austin area before starting in his current role. So um, you have quite the resume, Drew, and I'm curious as to kind of what got you into this field and uh, where your passion for, for growing things came from. Tell us a little it. more about yourself.
2: <laughs> for sure. Okay. So yeah, growing up, um, I grew up in South Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, my father owned some land about an hour north of where I grew up in Baton Rouge, just across the the Mississippi line. And uh, we raised hybrid pines for the pulp industry. So very different than anything I'm doing now, but that may have fostered some level of interest, you know, and just watching things grow, just being outside. I've always loved that ever since I was a little boy and just watching things grow. And then in high school, I started in in the nursery business. I mean, it was like the first, you know, quote unquote, real job that I ever had. And I just stuck with that for a long, long time and just kind of climbed that ladder and then somehow wound up doing what I'm doing now, which is crazy. I know I feel like I've probably had one of the most interesting (laughs) careers in this field for sure. And it's been a, a long and winding road to get here for sure. Well, glad, yeah. sure, sure, glad I got to it.
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: it sounds like uh, a lot of fun. And is this your first job specifically with horticulture, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, with hydroponics, or? Um, yeah. Did you do some of that? Okay.
2: No, this so, is so, my first getting into to, to hydroponics for sure.
1: Okay, so I guess we'll start with the, the basics. What is hydroponics, and, um, you know. Why? What? How is it different from, I guess, conventional farming? For those that don't know anything about it.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay, so strict definition, I guess you'd say, is is hydroponics is growing plants without soil, um, where you're using water and some type of a nutrient blend to grow the plants instead of using soil. Um, You can get real broad with it, or you can get more specific with it. But I mean, some people would even argue that drip irrigating uh nursery stock and potting soil counts as hydroponics but a lot of people would say it doesn't so you can kind of interpret that as you will what i'm doing i'm using it uh specifically to in in methods that are used in commercial farming um indoors in a greenhouse um And I have all different systems, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into. But for for us here in Texas, especially hydroponic production of vegetables to be maximized really needs to be done in a controlled environment of some sort, either in a greenhouse or a warehouse that's been converted to a grow room or a shipping container or something where you can keep the the climate controlled.
1: Yeah, because it gets a little hot here.
2: For those Just a those bit. That don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've heard the term hydroponics and aquaponics. Uh, what's the difference? Just to kind of clarify, a lot of people might use them interchangeably.
2: Awesome. Yeah, and I appreciate that question too because it is it is very different. So, what I'm doing in hydroponics, I'm basically using a reservoir of water and creating a, a nutrient solution in that water to grow the plants and it comes in all different styles but in aquaponics you're using fish you're using fish waste um, which then gets filtered and goes through some different processes to produce to to basically to fertilize the water so that's the difference in in hydroponics there's no fish
1: okay it's one easier or harder to manage than the other it seems like the fish might be a little more like one more element to have to,
2: For to manage. Sure. <laughs> and in fact, that's why we have stuck with using hydroponics right now. Um, who knows, in time in time, we, we may try aquaponics, but we, that's initially what we studied on You know, through the company. We thought about getting into aquaponics, and then we had a number of people in the area tell us that we should really try doing this hydroponic thing first. And then if we wanted to graduate into aquaponics to do that, especially in the in warm weather climates, there's not a lot of great success rate um, in particular here in, in DFW area for sure um, with seeing, you don't see a lot of successes, unfortunately just yet in aquaponics. So that's why we stuck with hydroponics. It's more straight, a little more straightforward of a grow. Um, you have a lot more control over the variables and, if you, lo- if you lose uh, one system in aquaponics, you're going to lose everything. If you lose your fish, you lose your plants, and then you're left with nothing. Um, where it's a little bit easier to kind of make a mistake and restart in hydroponics, for
3: sure.
1: Interesting. <clears throat> Ladies, what, what questions do you have for him? You have anything yet?
0: He keeps answering them every well, time I-, I think of them. <laughs> <laughs> One
3: of the questions I submitted to you earlier, Jennifer, to ask him ahead of time was, um, there's you know some questions about what's more sustainable, you know, when you're con- considering the conventional farming versus hydroponics, because I know you mentioned you have to build a building and you have to air condition it, and so have you done that cost comparison for the two methods to see what's the most like return on investment or you know, what are, what
2: are you seeing in that regard? Great question. So, yeah, so your, your ROI is gonna is, once you get past the initial investment setup of getting into hydroponics, um, your ROI is pretty good um, versus outdoor farming. So you're going to be able to, to create, you know, a lot more in a much smaller space using hydroponics um and they operate so much more efficiently so on the on the subject of sustainability to give you some idea of what i'm what i'm talking about when i'll periodically have to fill up my deep water culture ponds i'd say on average i fill them up once a month where i just top them off with fresh water when i do that i did it today by the way (laughs) so when i do that I have the hose running maybe an hour, maybe two hours. Versus when I water my outdoor plants, you know, especially during the summer months, my raised gardens or even my in-ground plantings, I'm three, four hours every single day to keep things productive. So, I mean, the the water usage is is way less. Um, Your labor cost is going to be way less. Um, and then the other thing that I really, really like about it is in any one of my systems, the fertilizers and so forth that we're using, be it synthetic or organic or anything, um, they stay right there in that building. They never get run off into an aquifer. They don't wind up in a lake or in your your drinking water system. They literally stay right there in my reservoirs. So for those reasons, there, it's a much more environmentally friendly way to grow. We feel like once you have the, uh, the infrastructure in place, which, of course, is a, is a big initial investment, they're a lot more efficient um, in the long run. So it's one of those things where if you can pay for it up front, you can do very well and you know, in in survive until you start getting your crops out. You can do very well with these, with these types of systems. A lot less space wasted too, you know, like you're not, there's no tractors. You don't have to, you know, leave wide row spacing for your tractors and harvesting equipment and so forth. It's all inside of this one building and yeah. and is, up, you know, the comparable yields of what you would get on many, many acres. Is that
1: cost taking into consideration the cost to cool the building, um, replace the equipment that you do have to buy? you know, regularly and things like that as well. Like that it, you still come out ahead, I guess, with hydroponics.
2: You with still come out ahead for <laughs> sure. The, the trick okay. is to, to make yourself scale is to be scalable, you know, to where you're producing enough units to be able to offset those, those costs, which is the same with any business. But uh, it's just a, a little bit different in, in in hydroponics. There's really not like uh, the way I cool my greenhouse is very different than what you would what you would do in a commercial farm you know i I am air conditioned and I am because we're an exhibit um, so we really have to be considerate of our fairgoers when they're when they're coming through that we keep them give them a nice cool place to to relax and so forth. Um, and, and I have we, to
1: say I, it was really nice to be able to go into that air conditioned building <laughs> day I went because it was hot.
2: <laughs> i know right yeah you came early when it was still like smoking hot yeah yes. uh, and then that's part of the experience we want it to be kind of a little oasis where people can come in and uh take a break and 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 get a get a breath of fresh air before they get back out into it but anyway so what most farms do um commercial farms would do is just use a wet wall technology to keep their greenhouse cool um which is basically a glorified swamp cooler. Uh, and it's a lot, lot less uh, of an electrical pull than what my HVACs are. And that's pretty much what you'd find at, at a commercial greenhouse anywhere.
0: Okay, awesome. So what were
3: um, like upfront initial investment costs so we can get like some sort of scale?
2: On average to, to create, I can give you, and this is just a sort of an industry standard number. To create a greenhouse that would would be about one acre in size, your initial investment is going to be around one to one and a half million per acre of greenhouse
1: Wow, okay, so is this something that's feasible for the uh at home gardener kind of hobby gardener or not someone who's looking to go full scale commercial or? I know you guys had a lot of different, um, you know, machines set up where it looked like they could kind of do well in a, in a smaller environment or just like a, you know, a home or something, but how, you know, what's better if, if I'm looking to start a garden on my own, um,
2: everything, all of our systems are very scalable. So it is definitely something that a homeowner could do very easily. Um, if they have the right setup. And we also, we display some systems that are really strictly for homeowners. Um, And then we showcase some systems that were scaled down so that you could do it in your garage or something. So the one that we have that is made specifically for homeowners are the tower, are these things called tower gardens. And there is a vertical system. Um, And each one of them holds between 24 and 44 plants, depending on what size you want. And it just looks like a piece of PVC pipe that sits on top of a green pedestal. And inside of that pedestal is where your water lives. Um and again, that's where you add the nutrients and so forth. And you can even get light kits for them, grow light kits. So if you don't have a sunny window or you wanted to do it in your kitchen or somewhere inside your house, you just plug that dude in and you're ready to grow. And they're not, yeah. they're not the uh most efficient are the, the best ways to grow at a commercial level, but they would give you all the produce you'd want to eat for sure. You can produce great greens. We've done like chives and basil and edible flowers and some mm-hmm. fun stuff on them too. So you can get you can get creative with them.
1: Yeah, you had cucumbers on one of the hanging
2: uh,
1: vertical yeah. ones, right?
2: That was yeah. pretty neat. Those are, those are my Dutch buckets. Um and that's actually a, a a more commercial yeah it's a commercial okay. type system. it's something that you would see those are used to produce vine crops mostly okay. so i grow tomatoes cucumber okay. and, and peppers right now and you can also do things like eggplants and pole beans in them as well and that's mm-hmm. another one that's very scalable i've seen some amazing stuff done There's some really cool DIY videos. Like, if you get on YouTube and look up DIY Dutch buckets, you can actually make them out of like five gallon paint buckets that you'd get from Home Depot and
0: some real simple
2: uh, supplies, and you're ready to rock and roll.
3: So, I live in the city, like downtown San Antonio now, and I don't have a yard. Um, If I wanted to put something like this in my kitchen, like I have a, a for it maybe what would something like that small cost do you sell
2: that kind of thing we don't sell anything we're strictly like research and development and uh and then we actually donate all the produce to like six different nonprofit groups but check out these tower garden things that i'm talking about the thing is because they grow vertically they take up like very very little room at all and they're capable of producing a, a fair amount of produce off of each thing there's also another thing called arrow gardens which literally just sit on a tabletop and uh those are really cool too i haven't grown with those yet but i do like my my towers i like them really well but they sure look neat So there's a system <laughs> for everybody for sure
1: you could go down a rabbit hole researching all the options i'm sure
2: Oh, you can. The DIY (laughs) stuff. If you get on the DIY videos, you're going to be there all night long. I promise.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So you mentioned, oh, Oh, go ahead.
3: I was just going to say, I definitely remember having a a garden outside when I did, like, a vegetable garden, like, almost every day in the Texas heat when we had those like, 100-degree-plus days for, like, Mm -hmm. months in a row. And I was like, this was a terrible year to
1: plant. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is why I have a timer on my hose yeah. <laughs> or my my sprinkler, yeah.
3: I know it's to <laughs> do it indoors instead. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, no doubt. It's funny. I, I feel kind of guilty because people were coming into our greenhouse tour and during the fair, and they're like, "Oh man, your cucumbers look so great, or your tomatoes, or your lettuce. How are you growing these lettuce heads?" And I'm like, "Man, I cheat. I grow them inside." But I also am able to cover people and tell them, hey, if you saw what my outdoor garden looks like right now, you'd see I'm no better off than you out there. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) No joke. Um, So you mentioned uh, something that I wanted to talk about, which is that you guys kind of um, do this for research and development and you donate a lot of the produce. So first tell me or tell us kind of how you got started on that venture, like why did this State Fair of Texas decide to start a a greenhouse and hydroponic garden, and then you know why you decided to donate the food that you grow.
2: Great, thank you for letting me speak on that. It uh, again, kind of a long and winding story. So that greenhouse is actually ten years old. It was originally built before my tenure with the State Fair, and it was purpose to its main purpose was to grow ornamental plants. So it was used to overwinter a collection of tropical plants that we used to display around the grounds. And during the fair itself, it was a model railroad garden that we would landscape around. And it was a really cute exhibit, man. I've got three sons, three young sons, and all all three of them loved it. They would get excited to come see Thomas and everything. But flash forward a little bit. um, In 2016, the, the company had decided that we wanted to become much more community focused, much more outreach focused. Um, Fair Park is actually located in the middle of one of the worst food deserts in the United States. It's an uh, area that has a real bad reputation outside the grounds. Um, it's unfortunate. It's a really beautiful place. And I've met some of the best people I've ever known, but it definitely has its, uh, its problems. And the farm's co-founder and myself... Uh, his name is Jason Hayes. And he's actually our vice president of branding for the state fair. And he knew I knew how to grow vegetables because uh, I'd been doing it for fun, you know, for several years up there. And at the time, my, my focus was on all the ornamental stuff. So I was growing like hanging baskets and palm trees and beautifying the grounds. Um, well, anyway, he asked me if I would like to help start a garden at the fair. And it was like, initially, we thought, well, you know, we can get the staff involved, we can make it like our own state fair community garden, and we'll donate all the produce. Uh, so we started in 2016. And initially, we made a couple of really key partnerships there locally um, in the community through the produce donation. And those two groups, there's Cornerstone Baptist Church and the Baylor Scott and White Health and Wellness Institute. We began donating to them when we had stuff. You know, that first year there wasn't a lot. Um, we were just kind of trialing it out. Everything was grown outdoors, but you could see right away the impact it would ha- it had on the the members of the community when we would bring them this fresh stuff. And I mean, it would be like a couple baskets of tomatoes and some black eye peas or something, you know. But they were you could see the expression that this was fresh, you know, and this was something different and something that they hadn't had before. Um, so moving forward to 2017, the company decided to expand our our program. We had gotten a little bit of press that year and had, had won over the community, so to speak, you know, with it. And, and they were excited. The community was excited about it. So we decided to expand and that's when we first started toying with the idea of getting into aquaponics was our initial thought. Um, and then eventually we, we found out about hydroponics and decided to go that route. Well, it just so happens that one of the largest hydroponic supply companies has an office in the DFW area. So it's a group called Horde Americas, and they're really kind of our partners in this whole greenhouse uh, program now. And I met them and I was able to tour what at the time was their demo greenhouse. And I saw their deep water culture ponds and their NFT system, and I just fell in love with it. And uh, I said, yeah, that's this is what we need at the fair. So that first year we only had one system uh, actually we had two we had the one deep water culture pond and the si- the six tower gardens that I, that I mentioned earlier we had those on display along with the trains and this is uh, 2017 and two things got our attention right away number one was how incredibly productive these systems can be um, when everything is going right and then number two the public went nuts for it like it was like they weren't even seeing the trains anymore you know they would just go to that corner where we had our little hydroponics exhibit and that we would be there answering questions about it all day long
0: That's so awesome.
2: it was it was really a great it was so cool so we realized that we were on to something big and uh, it was allowing us to exponentially uh, increase our output of food that we could donate into this community in need and gave us a great exhibit so we've spent the last two years just retrofitting that greenhouse system after system after system grow lights everything um to getting it to, to the exhibit that you saw today where we fill up the whole thing basically with different hydroponic system
1: so who funds all that is that all funded by the state fair or do you get sponsors or folks that donate
2: we're all of the money, 100% of the money comes from the State Fair, of Texas. Um, we're not even allowed to go after any government grants or anything wow. at this point. They, they want to fund it, the whole thing in house. Um, so that way, and, and it makes it really great because we're able to do data collection and present very um, unbiased information, you know, which is kind of game. Gain- gained us some some big attention in in our industry as well as in our community you know people can know that they can get the straight story from us um and then yeah we we can some of the equipment and so forth does get donated to us uh horde america's group has been very generous with us and they've given us a lot of really cool toys to to play with in there so big props to them for helping us
1: yeah that's really cool i love that um you know, the state fair is not only a place you can go to have fun and, and get entertained, but it's also y'all are giving back and looking for ways to kind of use the unique assets that you have and putting it towards um, something that helps the community and is sustainable, of course. So,
3: Absolutely. Um,
1: props to big techs, man.
2: <laughs> I love it. Love that.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, so... Let me see here. Uh, I did want to to kind of delve into, uh, I guess, the types of crops you can grow in this type of system. Are there some that you can or cannot grow? Um, Someone also had down, you know, can you do non-GMO organic crops this way? Like what, I guess, I guess how diverse can you get um, with a hydroponic system?
2: Okay. Yeah. You can really grow pretty much anything you want. But certain crops are definitely better than others. And I'm going to break this down into two categories. There are types of, of hydroponic systems that are ideal for growing greens, leafy greens and herbs. Um, and then there are types that are more appropriate for growing vine crops. So on the green side, they're like the deep water culture ponds that I mentioned, which I've got two of them. They're basically rectangular shaped structures that you you build out of lumber, cover with a pond liner, fill with water. And then the plants um, literally float on top of a raft and the roots just dangle in down into that nutrient rich water. And it is so cool to see. And that system is ideal for growing lettuce. I grow collard greens, arugula, kale. uh, I've done basil, chives, any of the herbs like that. And the other system that's really ideal for, especially at the commercial level, um, greens production is called NFT or nutrient film technique. Um, And you use these long plastic channels that have holes cut in them, and you set your plant starts in those holes. And then you, you have a reservoir of water, and you cycle that water through the bottoms of the channels at a very, very slow trickle constantly um and it creates a really cool uh, really good growing environment for the greens and it also uh and it's also very customizable and scalable you can move the channels you know further apart you can bunch them close together if you wanted to do things like petite greens or microgreens um and it's one of the systems i have a large NFT system that would was exactly the kind of system that you would see in a commercial greenhouse and then i have a second small one that I I built for like $200, which is one of those systems that you could put in in your house or in your garage very easily. So vine crops, on the vine crop side, so we're talking about tomatoes, peppers of all sorts, cucumbers, eggplants, primarily pole beans. Um, Dutch bucket is still probably the the most common system that you're gonna use to grow vine crops. the other system that I have on that I have now is called a gutter system, where you take these long uh, slabs of this material called rock wool, which is a very common u- commonly used in hydroponics, and you grow your plants in these slabs, and you irrigate them, you drip irrigate them several times a day from your reservoir and as the water the excess water passes through the rock wool slabs it drains into these these structures that look just like rain gutters and then the rain gutters carry them right back to the reservoir so that way you're wasting no water no water gets wow. wasted at all <laughs> that's really <So> great <laughs> the one type of crop that you're not really going to see much in commercial hydroponics yet because they just aren't that efficient uh from a, a monetary standpoint are root crops so we're not growing potatoes um hydroponically we're not doing radishes uh certainly sweet potatoes or onions because it's just not profitable to do so using hydroponics but you could do it if you wanted to and you could certainly do them at home for sure there's ways
1: okay interesting and so uh as far as organic and, and non-organic, I mean, is it possible to do it that way? I guess you, you don't have to use as many chemicals, probably, um, given that everything's growing in the water. But you do still have to add nutrients to the, not the soil, the water.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. So yes, um, you can do this 100% organically. In fact, there is a lettuce grower that's about. 30 minutes east of town that I'm, I'm friends with is, um, and he is a a certified organic, uh, lettuce grower, hydroponic lettuce grower. Um, we've tried, we've done, we have some reservoirs that are all organic on the nutrients and then some where we're using a a synthetic blend. Um, and we, we trial it all. We, We try everything. Um, in there so you can do it both on the vine crops and on the the greens um either way and then we're pesticide free we don't spray even the stuff that we could spray um we don't we use other methods uh omri methods and uh, that's another real benefit to growing in a controlled environment is if you manage it properly and you set them up properly you're not really gonna have to spray anything. Um, which is great you know no no chemicals on the on the crop at all
1: yeah that's something i was wondering about um are there pests that uh, are more or less prone to this type of growing i've heard of different kinds of worms that can get in the water and get into the plants but i imagine you don't have nearly as many as you would get out in the open air
2: not even close this is the one time a year that we know going into it that we're probably gonna wind up with some insect problems. And knock on wood, we really haven't had too many problems with it yet. And it's during the fair time for us because of all the heavy traffic. I mean, we have between two and three hundred thousand people come through that greenhouse, and we bring whether we realize it or not, we bring the pest problems in with us. You know, they they come in on our feet or on our hands and. You know, we have uh, ag kids, ag students and so forth who in the mornings will go out and check on their livestock and then come to visit the greenhouse, you know, so we're very vulnerable to insect attack. And we know that, you know, we'll spend the month of November kind of cleaning things up in there. Um, But the rest of the year, we we keep it pretty tight on how people come in and out of the building. And uh, we keep it, I mean, virtually insect free anymore.
1: That's great. Awesome.
2: So there, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily insects that are uh, more prone to, to get in, the, in a greenhouse setting or anything. And we also do, we keep our water in all of our reservoirs oxygenated and moving in some form or fashion. So we never allow any of the reservoirs to go stagnant. And uh, I think that helps a lot with keeping like any kind of waterborne worms or we don't, I've never had any mosquito issues or anything like that at all. Awesome. So again, it's just really just managing your systems. If you manage everything correctly, you you can keep them pretty pest free.
1: And I'm sure there's been a lot of trial and error and, you know, over the years you've figured out what you should or shouldn't be doing.
2: Heck, yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> with any garden uh, we, we've killed uh yeah we've killed plenty of plants trust me we 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 like to we like to tell people yeah we we've made all the mistakes for you already <laughs> it's
1: not just me and my garden <laughs> that didn't work awesome um yeah go ahead
3: I was just curious what exactly are your results or what are you doing with that information?
2: Okay, so we, we've been doing data collection for the last season, the last growing season, where we're monitoring everything from light levels to temperature and humidity in our greenhouse, um, and a number of other things. We haven't been doing it long enough yet to to have to to feel like we have any firm conclusions, um, but there are also some some varieties that we have noticed that are doing better than others I've tried probably 20 different varieties of lettuce in particular but other greens as well in there and there's definitely the three that I'm using there are three now that I'm using there's a butterhead variety called Rex that I really like um there's a french uh red oak leaf variety called Ruhi that's been a standout for us and then a big leafy uh big wavy green leafy thing called Mir, which is a summer crisp lettuce. And that one's done really, really well for us. And, and all of the systems, um, it's done well in NFT. It's done really good on the tower garden and it does great. All three of those do great in any of the systems we've trialed them. So those have been standouts for us for sure. And there's also been some equipment that we've tried that we found out was not Probably worth the investment, <laughs> um, but I'll uh, I won't name names for now if that's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> cool.
2: And the GE that... light those have been awesome. I, I do want to mention those: the General Electric, the Arise series top light, which is a uh, a very very electrically efficient uh, unit that produces a lot of uh, a lot of good quality light for our plants. And uh, we, we've tried and we still have several different varieties, and those are the ones that have stood out for sure. You can see the results in a matter of days.
3: Oh, wow.
1: How do you guys have collected Sorry. available publicly or uh, just contacting you guys and
2: asking for it? You're asking us, yes.
3: Okay. You guys are going to create like some sort of report eventually? Is that part of this research process?
2: yeah we'll we'll tabulate information and so forth once uh once we have feel like we have a little bit more of a firm handle on it um and have more legitimate you know done enough uh replicated studies and so forth to feel like we we know what we're talking about we'll uh we'll make the information available for sure so awesome. do you feel
0: like um Knowing what you know that hydroponics could eventually replace conventional agricultural outdoor methods, or can it work in tandem with it and both sort of regenerate the soil and use that as a carbon sink and do hydroponics at the same time?
2: That's the way I see it working. That is a great question. Um, I love that question because, no, we don't feel like this is going to replace soil farming, Um, and I don't think it has to. You know, I, I love what a lot what I see a lot of the uh, regenerative uh, field farmers doing now, you know, where they're doing some really great work. And they're growing th- some stuff that we can't grow indoors very efficiently yet, you know, and producing just really wonderful produce out there. Um, And I love that, especially the guys who are doing it at the smaller scale. They're doing it with no till methods and no tractors, you know, uh, I love that stuff. But hydroponics allows us to grow in areas where you couldn't uh, grow outdoors. You know where either the climate isn't suitable, or the even in the case of Dallas, um, a lot of the soil has been tainted. There was a lot of leather industry back in the day, and a lot of industrial uh, industrialized areas that the soil is literally toxic to grow in. You can't grow in it at all. Um, and this hydroponics uh, allows us to to grow in in ways and in areas that we couldn't otherwise and produce a heck of a lot of food in a small amount of space. So I think it's going to become a bigger and bigger part of the picture as we go along, especially in the urban settings. So not exclusive, I mean, this you can build greenhouses out in uh, rural areas and they work really well too. There's nothing wrong with that also. Um, but I don't think we're ever going to see a point or a need for this to replace outdoor ag they exist side by side and we can use it to save the soil for what we need the soil for Mm -hmm. i think that's the way i like to say it
1: (laughs) yeah and it kind of uh equalizes the ability of cities to grow food because right now they're either so overpopulated or there's just nowhere you could plant uh, Large-scale farm, but you could build in, you know, in a building or put a greenhouse on top of a building or, or something like that, and it it brings it, you know, fresh food to those food deserts, like you said, which is very important as
0: Absolutely. the population grows.
2: That's another point that I want to make with all this. Um, it it does allow you to hyper-localize um, your food supply, especially your supply of greens, which are so highly perishable, right? So that you can put these in cities, you can put these in urban areas um, to where you can and you cut your delivery time from, say, a city like Dallas, where we can it would be awesome if we can get it scaled up enough to where we're not having to truck stuff in all the way from California um, to get here to Dallas. You know, now we can just have it right here in our own city and you're eliminating a lot of the fossil fuels. And you're also going to eliminate a ton of food waste that way too, right? Because it's going to last a lot longer. It's going to be a lot fresher for a longer period of time because it's locally grown. And like I say, and then let's not forget about the nutritional value that gets lost by the day, um, you know, to where the the fresher it is, the better for you it is too. And that's an important piece of the puzzle for me anyway. I think it is.
1: Yeah, that's a great Great point. I hadn't even thought of all those added benefits, uh, but those are those are really important things to consider. I, I was thinking mostly in terms of, um, you know, the population's growing. The world is getting yes. smaller essentially because we have more people on less space or the same amount of space. And how are we going to feed all those people? Um, and this is going to help us do more with less. Um, in addition to everything else, we're trying to do save For the soil. Sure
2: and i think we're only going to get better at it too you know uh it's still pretty much in its infancy you know uh modern hydroponics versus outdoor especially and i, I can't wait I, I know with all the smart people that are thinking about it and working on it now it's going to get better and better and even more efficient especially with the tech you know the lights will get better the pumps will get better and you know we're going to figure out more and and innovative ways to continue to push this thing forward. For sure.
1: I just realized we've talked mostly about vegetables, but can you grow fruits? Can you grow things like trees and bushes and, you know, those kinds of plants hydroponically, or do they require a lot more than that can offer?
2: okay so yes you absolutely can grow certain varieties of fruit very easily in hydroponics in fact um there's a fair amount of uh or it's fairly common for strawberries to be produced hydroponically anymore and in fact a lot of them are grown using the gutters uh the gutter system that i described earlier for growing vine crops you can use them for growing uh, strawberries as well um other berries are grown that way too. I've I've heard of blueberries being produced, and certainly blackberries and raspberries can be grown hydroponically very easily. Um, I have have I, like bees. don't you have to have bees
3: to pollinate the flower. Mm, that's, that's a good question.
2: Pick. On those on on those varieties, yes, you do. And if you go, and it's the same thing for a lot of the, the certain varieties of tomatoes and so forth. And if you go into most commercial greenhouses, they're going to be using bumblebee colonies inside of there. Um, Because they're, for whatever reason, they, they seem to be able to outwork the, you know, the honeybees in a greenhouse situation. So you will Jen's see... Jen's
1: face when you said that, like... An <laughs> enclosed greenhouse with bees in it?
2: <laughs> Who would go in there? <laughs> it's a trip, right? You know, wow. it's, yeah, we, I, we I normally try it to come um,
3: fruition in my head. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so to start with, let me tell you, if you come visit my greenhouse, we do not use bees. We actually, we use nothing but self-pollinating varieties wow. uh, so that we don't introduce, so we don't have to introduce bees. That but could be an issue with
1: all those visitors.
2: Yeah, it would be a little bit of a problem. <laughs> but the way they do it, they'll introduce the bees and then basically they'll let them do their thing for a couple of hours a day and then round them up more or less and bring them back to the apiaries. And uh that's when the workers can come in and do do their thing.
3: Hmm.
2: So that's interesting. Okay, trees. Let's talk about fruit trees. I have seen citrus done. Hmm. Um And it it can be done as long as you have the space for it, you know, because they get big. I would suspect, though I have not seen, figs would probably do very well. You run into a bit of an issue with some of the more common uh, outdoor grown fruit, like apples and stone fruit, you know, peaches, plums, nectarines, all that. And that's that they require what's called chill hours to produce where they actually need a period of dormancy and of cold weather. So growing them in a greenhouse, you're not really oh. going to that. So that would kind of render those fruits ineffective unless you could figure out a way to, to keep the greenhouse really cool or allow it to, to get cool enough during the winter for long enough. Um, not that it couldn't be done. It would just be a little bit more challenging.
1: You could put like half of it under the greenhouse and half of it up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and <laughs> just have
1: your greenhouse around the bottom of the trees. Yeah, it would totally work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
3: <laughs> That's interesting,
1: though. Okay. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd love to see where this, this science and research goes, because um, I'm sure someday scientists will figure out a way to, to make everything growable in, you know, water. You
2: environment for sure. For sure
3: a lot on uh, sustainable design and development and some of the new designs that these architects are coming up with are fascinating like you'll see hydroponic systems built into these corporate headquarters, like skyscrapers and they're just using the glass part as their you know greenhouse part of it they're not actually having to do a whole lot of extra lighting and so we're in the middle of like Hong Kong or something and they just have these these farms essentially in the middle of their, their corporate headquarters building. Awesome. So I think we have a bright future ahead of us and um it's exciting to see where all this is gonna go.
2: It really is. That that sounds so cool. Yeah, and I love that. And there's no reason we shouldn't have those kinds of setups, right? Every building could get a greenhouse.
1: Yeah. And we know the studies show that access to nature you know if you're inside all day increases health morale, your sanity like so many things so that yeah. has the added benefit of
2: you know as well. for sure and, and I tell you just you know doing what we do where we're, we're using our, our greenhouse and our, our produce and program to interact with the community in need I've seen firsthand. You know what this does for people. You know, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure it would be the same for employees and whatnot. uh You know, if they're they're seeing their their own lunch is being grown like right there in their office building or something. You know, I I, I can imagine that would that would make for pretty happy employees.
1: <laughs> well, I have to say I was very excited to find the greenhouse at the state fair. That's how I met Drew and um. You know, just the fact that they were doing this impressed me and then as I started talking to um, another one of their employees and then him, I was just blown away with their, you know, enthusiasm and their willingness to kind of answer the 50,000 questions I had and explain the system to me. So (laughs) y'all are doing a great job and I hope uh, to see you guys grow every year, you know, when I make it up there to the fair. And if you're in Texas, definitely check it out next September through October.
2: For sure. For sure.
1: Um, Drew, did you have anything else you wanted to say on this subject or anything we haven't covered?
2: You know, uh, no, I I think we've it might be worth mentioning just on the on the sustainability aspect. Um, I mentioned earlier that there's multiple ways to do hydroponics. we have found so far that it looks like the, the most energy efficient way to do it is how we're doing it in a greenhouse. You you see a lot about the uh container farms that are popping up and so forth. And um those don't necessarily have the best track record yet of making it as a business because there is so much electrical cost that goes into it. But like we're where we're at, what we're doing. We don't have to run our LED lights very much at all because we're able to take such advantage of the natural light. Like you were mentioning, uh, is being done on some of the office buildings. You know, we're using sunlight, which is free uh, for for most of the grow. So something to keep in mind and just something I wanted to say to just kind of put that out there.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And a lot of our listeners uh maybe looking at this on a smaller scale but if by chance you're thinking of going commercial with this um that's some great points and you know also there are smaller options available so ladies did you have any other questions for drew before we move on
3: no thank you for your time and it's, it's been a pleasure meeting you and i'm excited about where all this
2: goes that's awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was good to good to meet you too. If you're ever up around Dallas, we'd love to show you around the farm, okay?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, are you guys open year-round or just during the fair to the public?
2: It's just during the fair that we're open to the public. Just during the 24-day fair run and also July 4th we are open. The okay. rest of the year it's it's by appointment.
1: Okay. So, folks are in the Dallas area and want to check it out. They can get in contact with you guys, maybe set something up, yeah, to see it in person. Um, do you have any additional resources that you would share with folks that are interested in learning more about hydroponics or starting their own garden, uh, whether it's websites, books, anything like that?
2: Absolutely. There's a couple of um, there's a couple of of websites I'd I'd like to send people to refer them to. There's one company called Bootstrap Farmer. Um, and their website is it's BootstrapFarmer.com. And they have a ton, they've got a podcast of their own. Um, their focus is on small farmers and uh homeowners, you know, who are looking to get into this kind of thing with somewhat of a focus on microgreens, but they've got a lot of other subject matters. They've got some really great YouTube videos. Um and a lot of, a ton of good information on their website and the other site is, is, you know, my, our, our buddies our kind of our partner in this HortAmericas, Americas, com. Again, they've got a blog, they've got a ton of instructional video, a lot of information about horticultural lighting, um, how to mix nutrients for your reservoirs, the whole nine yards. So you get a ton of good information out of either of those sites for sure.
1: Great. And we'll also be sure to link those um, on the page uh, for the podcast as well. So, all right. Well, again, thank you for sharing all of your your knowledge with us and talking about this important topic. I think uh, it's something that we need to be thinking about, you know, as, as our population grows and we're trying to lower our carbon footprint and, of course, conserve what we already have, the resources that we're using. Um, So really appreciate it. Um, We're gonna move on now to our green life hacks. So this is where we kinda give an action or an item that we've recently discovered or that we've been doing that helps us in our personal lives um, live a little bit greener. So uh,
0: Chris would you like to go first? Sure. So uh, my green life hack is if you are like myself and half of my family uh a bispectacle, spectacle spectacle person who needs glasses these are actually Ray's, my husband's glasses um your over time your prescription changes sometimes your glasses break or you just want um a new set uh and then you have all these glasses left over and they're hanging around like right now we have two pairs that nobody's wearing um if a lot of optometrists and optometry offices have um, ours is near the reception area where they have these boxes where you can donate your old glasses and they go to uh, non-for-profit charities that help people in developing world um, who need glasses and who need to see so if you have extra glasses lying around that you're not using anymore uh, check out your your local eye doctor to see if they have a program there. And if not, maybe suggest one and also uh, prescription bottles. We have a bunch. I am on um, medication every day and I have a lot of prescription bottles. So pharmacies take these back. They also take back your expired medication too. So don't flush it down the toilet, please.
1: I didn't know that they would take the bottles back. Now the, mm-hmm. I feel like I've asked some of our pharmacists here in the States and they say, no, we don't take medicine, but I'll, we'll have to check on that here in the States. It may be different, but definitely the bottles is cool because yes, I usually yeah. donate those to craft stores
0: or something. <laughs> yeah. so. My dad gave me change in one of his old ones. <laughs>
1: oh, nice. <laughs> those are great tips. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Jen, what you got for us? Perfect.
3: Um, <laughs> Run, like a little low on ideas, but I thought that because we were talking about food and plants that I would share um, this like protein powder that I use that's plant-based. I searched high and low for a protein powder that didn't taste like chalky and was plant-based and it didn't have any dairy in it, um, gluten-free, soy-free, uh, non-GMO, organic, all that stuff. So If you're not watching and you're just listening, it's the Organic Protein Plant-Based Protein Powder. I do the vanilla flavor. And then you can put your lovely microgreens or spinach or kale in the blender with your your protein powder and get your your breakfast knocked out (laughs) in two minutes. So um, that's what I'm rocking right now. But if anyone out there has something that they like better – um, send it our way and let us know. I'm always
1: looking for something you can try. Um, so this is not vegan at all, but have you heard that they are making cricket protein powder and they make like bars out of crickets now, like energy bars? It's it's a real thing that they're using to like
3: get yeah. protein
1: into things. I've heard of it.
3: I haven't tried the protein powder yet, but we, did. we went to the Insectorium when we were in New Orleans. <laughs> And they had a taste like chocolate-covered crickets or um, like mealworms and stuff. And it actually tasted pretty good. But yeah. If but those like... are whole?
1: You ate the whole ones? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> this
3: is like powdered. Oh
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, yeah, for sure. The powder
3: would be like, you don't even know. Like, I didn't even taste
2: it that. So it would just probably be like, oh, that tastes great. Oh, <laughs> gosh. They, they actually sell them at the state fair, the crickets. <laughs> Of course they do. I'm not kidding. They of fries. course they do, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: you probably won a prize like five years ago.
2: Probably. Yep. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: I, I when you said protein, I almost thought, is she gonna pull out cricket powder? But
0: I'm glad it was plant based. <laughs> no,
3: I haven't gone that far yet, but I'm open. <laughs> I will remain open.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, she's listen, creative ways to feed a growing world, I'm just saying. Crickets might be it. Um, Drew, what do you have for us? Do you have a green life hack to share with our listeners?
2: Yeah, okay, I actually do. So one thing we do a lot of is is education in our program, um, and a lot of it is centered around kids. So if you're interested in, in getting you know children or your kids interested in growing, um, we actually during their summer camps we use the we use egg cartons. Um, and use poke holes in the bottom of them and fill them with potting soil and turn them into little planters. Um, and we tell the kids, like, they can do one or two things with them. You know, you can take your, each of those dozen and separate them into individual pots. Um, especially if you get like the biodegradable packaging, um, you, they in essence work just like you would go buy those little pea pots. At the at the hardware store, you know. So you start your beans or whatever, and then when the roots grow through the uh, the the pots, you can take them outdoors to your garden and plant them, or you can keep them all intact, all twelve cells intact, and grow like microgreens in them or herbs, you know, and just set them up yeah. on your kitchen windowsill um, and water them in the sink. Um, so that's my that's my hack. I don't know how that's, that's awesome. Hacked. The other ones, but egg carton planters, it's a it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: awesome. And we haven't had that one before, so that's a great idea. And they're it's biodegradable.
2: Fun. They're biodegradable. It's fun for the kiddos. They get yeah. a kick out of it.
1: They love seeing the sprouts come up from their little plants, their little oh, seeds. Right, yeah. Um mine is just so in the spirit of food and, and fresh uh produce, um I recently signed up for Imperfect Produce, because they started delivering to our area, and that is a company that um, essentially takes the produce that's ugly or overstocked or, for whatever reason, won't sell to the supermarkets, because they have to be, like, perfect-looking specimens, a lot of cases, um, and they take that excess and sell it to consumers and then deliver it directly to their homes. Um, so I, I only have had one delivery, and um, actually what I got wasn't that ugly, in my opinion. Um, but uh, so far, you know, I like it. I'm going to give it, you know, a little bit of time. But I will say, in general, um, my, my tip would be, you know, look for local uh, CSAs, co-ops, or other kind of food delivery um, options. Um, Or the imperfect produce if you're inclined to that and it's available in your area. Um, But, you know, a lot of these things help keep the stuff local and divert it from the landfill um, that would otherwise be wasted. So that would be my tip is check out what you can get locally and or delivered. So. All right, guys. Well, uh, where can we find you guys online? Drew, why don't you tell us where we could find you and or the state fair farms online?
2: all right so let's see so start with the company stuff we're just bigtex.com um, and then there's a link off of the homepage to the big techs urban farms and i've got videos and some uh, i do a blog seasonally and a lot of information it even tells you how many pounds we've donated up up to the current date um what do you at
1: so far we're just you
2: know? over uh, a little over seventeen thousand pounds we'll we'll be wow. we'll be it's getting pretty serious so yes ma'am
1: that's great and
2: uh also uh my instagram page is probably the 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 best place to get information and that's just my name it's drew dimmler um on instagram and then uh twitter my twitter feed is uh farmer spaceman (laughs) uh and then again it's just my my personal drew dimmler for on facebook and then i have i do have an urban farming page too it's urban farming with drew dimmler on facebook i'm not near as active with that as i am with the other stuff though okay so lots of ways to find us lots of ways <laughs> to find our stuff
1: and then of course the stay fairs on all the social media sites as well and sure um, photos of the farm and everything as well awesome jen where can we find you online <laughs>
3: Um, sustainably geeky has (laughs) a surprise
1: to me so this is the place this is it the exclusive (laughs) Chris where can we find you online
0: you can find me here at sustainably geeky and on epically geeky which is our parent channel Uh, also marginally geeky which is our book club which we are doing uh, a show tomorrow I believe on a really awesome book called Outland by Dennis E. Taylor, and uh, sometimes on Instagram. Right now, I'm in a big. I would rather look at people's posts than post anything. But if <laughs> you want to, it's Cedar Birch Cottage.
1: Anyway. Great, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Het's Gonna Be Me. Um, of course, you can always find me here on Sustainably Geeky. Marginally geeky and ethically geeky as well. Um, And you can find this show, Sustainably Geeky, on pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, We are on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Pandora, um, what's the other iTunes? I said iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube, and Spotify. Um, and then, of course, we have a Facebook channel, and if you have any ideas for future shows or any feedback on any of the things that we talk about, you can send us a message there. Um, we, are, we have a, a few good shows lined up uh, the next few months, so give us your input, and we'll try to work it in the rotation. Um, but we will be posting monthly, of course, and we'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Thank you again, Drew, for being on, and sharing your, your vast knowledge with us. We are excited to, um, see what happens in the future for, for big techs and for hydroponics in general.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Love talking to y'all. Yeah. Y'all are all welcome to my greenhouse anytime y'all are <laughs> around Dallas. Love to see y'all.
1: Open invite. <laughs> awesome. Well, everyone have a great day. Thank you for listening.